a conundrum to a lot of people. Um, so the, the guy that picks up some sticks on the Lord's Day, and then God says to stone him. So if we're good to go, I'll go ahead and pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the new year. Thank you for the Christmas season. Thank you for the incarnation. Um, Lord, your people need your truth. I, I would be completely lost if I didn't have your word. And I know I'm a teacher. I know that I live life studying the scripture, but I don't need it just as a teacher. I need it as, as a follower of Christ. And I just ask that you would help us to understand your word correctly. We would apply it to our hearts rightly and... Um, you would be honored this day. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's go ahead and just read Numbers 15, 32 to 36. And uh, since we're starting a new year and stuff, I, I won't even kind of give any background. We'll just kind of let you guys give me your initial reactions to this passage, and then we'll try to fit it into the context of... Um, the whole of the book of Numbers so far. So, uh, Numbers chapter 15, beginning in verse 32. Uh, and I, oh, we've got a mic already, and Howard is ready to go. Awesome. <laughs> 32 to the end of that chapter? No, just through 36. Okay. While the Israelites were in the desert, a man was found gathering wood on the Sabbath day. Those who found him gathering wood brought him to Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly, and they kept him in custody because it was not clear what should be done to him. Then the Lord said to Moses, The man must die. The whole assembly must stone him outside the camp. So the assembly took him outside the camp and stoned him to death as the Lord commanded Moses. Okay, so I guess maybe we'll start with just your initial reactions, comments, or questions. Cold turkey. Just. Okay. <laughs> okay. What was the man's motives? Yep. All right, what was his motives? That's, that's, yeah, okay. What's that? Okay, so the, uh, okay, Howard? All right. <laughs> yeah, how many of us, yeah, how many of us uh, go, <laughs> I mean, that's it. <laughs> okay, so it seems harsh, but, but God... Knows best, so you, there's a there's a trust there you got to have for that. Okay. 
Yeah. Yeah, so um, what so what is not clear? Okay. Anybody else? Thoughts, comments, questions? Yeah. Okay, so so uh, God's motivation uh, so you know this this happens and you know you're going to make a point out of this one to make sure the rest of the people don't don't do it. I mean that you know doesn't seem really good for that one guy but <laughs> Okay, so um, you're, uh, what is the motives? And, and you're saying that direct disobedience or direct disobeying, okay? Oh, okay, he's already going into the context now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so high hand. Um, is I that, that's definitely where we want to go with this. Mm-hmm. Hold on a second. Give that microphone to you right there. It's right behind your head. Just reach back. You got it. There you go. We simply took one commandment and expanded it because. We are told that if you break the law, you've broken the whole law. That's in James, by the way. James is very clear. If you break the law at one point, then you've broken the whole law. So, But the point of this is that what that, meant, what that man did in gathering that wood went a whole lot deeper than just simply picking up sticks in the desert. Okay. it's a good observation. Yeah. Yeah. Susan? What? Here you go. <laughs> I think it calls to mind a parallel with Adam and Eve, uh, whose sin seemed to be very minor, but sin has huge consequences, even the smallest of sins, and that's something that often we forget. Mm -hmm. So kind of a, some people uh, in the Reformed faith uh, strongly emphasize that the the law in Deuteronomy is a, like a uh, re-writing of the of the um, original law with Adam and Eve, and therefore they use the word republication, but it's like, so God is like reestablishing what he established at the beginning, that any breaking of my law is is enough to judge you. So that's kind of where Susan is mentioning that. So uh, I'm not personally a republicationist, although I'm not saying that I'm opposed to uh, the principle of the law in Deuteronomy. It certainly is there, so... Um, anyone else? You guys are doing good. So I'll answer all your questions in here and just know. <laughs> um, let's see. Certainly contextually, uh, John has us going in the right direction. 
because the prior section is about between intentional and unintentional sins. And we talked a little bit about this, but all sin on some level is intentional. Uh, you're actually doing a volitional act, right? Or it wouldn't be sin. You don't, you don't just sin by, you know, not, well, you can sin by not doing anything. But, but even that is a, is a volitional act to not do something that you're supposed to do. So, so there, sin is a volitional thing. But, but the book of Numbers makes a distinction between sins that happen because of either human weakness or ignorance uh, and, and they talk about ways to uh, handle those sins. And then he talks about the high-handed sin, and this is the one done in absolute defiance. This is the one that is done with uh, no, um, no sense of remorse, no sense of, of guilt. Uh, and, and Numbers just basically says there is no sacrifice for this kind of sin. <laughs> now, that doesn't mean that if you've ever sinned high-handedly that the blood of Christ can't take care of that sin, but it does mean that if, as long as you remain in unrepentance, you know, as long as you have this, this hardened sense of, I'm going to defy God and do what I want to do, then that is what leads to hell. I mean, that's, that is, that's what is the, uh, the damnable uh, uh, sin and actually someone even within the covenant of God to sin in that way to just throw off God's uh, yoke and do what you want to do is even being in the covenant community there's no safety there I think that's the best way to think of this okay so it seems correct that uh, immediately after this section of high-handed sins they come to this one example you know, it's not like they give many examples. They just give this one example, uh, and, and it seems like this is a, uh, an application, like you give a sermon and then you give a little specific application of what he was talking about previously in the section. So that's, that's it. Now, we do know that obviously the Sabbath was important uh, in, the, in the law, and it does say, and that you can might, you could turn there if you want. Exodus 31, verse 14, you shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. And again, it reiterates in verse 15, whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. So it's pretty clear that a, a direct uh, um, defiant breaking of the Sabbath deserved uh, death. And then in Exodus 35, again referring to the Sabbath, verse 3 you shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. So it was assumed that if you had a fire already going, that you could keep that fire going, but you weren't supposed to start a new fire on that day. So those are the... Uh, but there is, in my estimation, there is not a specific command 
singling out, you shall not gather sticks on that day. Right? I mean, it's not, it's not that explicit. I mean, you could be put under not any work, but, but even we who are Sabbatarians would say that there are many works of necessity, works of mercy that are necessary to do, so, um, and those are allowable. Uh, and I, you know, I think when I was going through the Ten Commandments, I think we spent two or three weeks on the Sabbath. So if you guys are wanting a fuller explanation of the Sabbath, I just maybe refer you to those notes. I have them. I can give them to you. We could talk about it. Uh, the Sabbath was something that is um, of keen interest to me, um, mainly because I grew up Lutheran, and we just really weren't that Sabbatarian. We kind of believed it, but we didn't really talk about it, and so when I started thinking about the Sabbath, it was very uh, difficult for me to wrap my mind around. Um, yeah. So whoever knows, <clears throat> excuse me, the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Yes. And all of Israel had to know the Ten Commandments. Oh, yes. I this mean, is, uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's very good. And this is, this is that first generation. This is uh, uh, very early uh, after giving the, the law itself. So let's just walk through the passage, try to bring up some of the, the uh, details within the passage itself, and then I think we can try to make some concluding points. So when does the incident occur, according to the verse 32? It occurs in the wilderness on the Sabbath, of course, on the Sabbath, but it's while they're in the wilderness. Uh, why would that be significant? Why, would, why is this important? Because, I mean, the whole of Numbers is in the wilderness, but this text actually tells you it's in the wilderness that this occurred. Why would that be significant? They're in survival mode, but what kind of miraculous things was God doing to take care of his people? He's providing manna for them. You know, it's like he is, the, the pillar of the cloud is right there. I mean, the, the visible presence of God... Um, the, the provision of God miraculously, all these kind of things are, are right there in his face. So this man does not have kind of the argument, well, I don't see God, you know, did he really give us that command kind of thing? That's, that's not, uh, is, did God really say that kind of mentality? Um, he's picking up sticks, and I agree with Howard, this does not seem like a serious crime in and of itself. Uh, I think I've done, I've picked up sticks, I'm sure, on the Sabbath. I do think it's interesting that uh, people who are, uh, because of this passage, people that in the, at least when I was growing up, they might break the Sabbath in other ways, but they didn't pick up sticks. You know, that's kind of the, <laughs> don't do that, because we know what that one's going to get, you know. So, um, anyway, I remember uh, my dad kind of humorously, he had farmers around him, and uh and, and they would always say, don't plant your crops on the Sabbath. They will not grow, you know, uh, kind of thing. So uh, anyway, so there is a dilemma in the congregation, right? They, are, they think that something is not clear. And some think that the uncertainty is only in the mode of death. How are we supposed to kill this person? Because there's no explicit way, statement of how to kill him, um, I don't think that's the case. Uh, 
it, it, you know, you got a population of 2 million people. There's a lot of people going on here. Um, most of whom were known for grumbling. <laughs> most of whom were known for breaking laws. <laughs> okay. Um, and so it just seems to me that um, they're just really questioning does this man's sin, is it different than our normal sins that we're doing? You know, is this, is this really uh, worthy of death? Um, I mean, just in a black and white way, I mean, he's doing work. If any work deserves death, then this should be black and white and clear. And yet they're still struggling with whether it's, not, whether it's clear or not. Uh, and I would argue that implicit in the law of God is that any, law, any breaking of the law merits God's wrath. Just as we, we just know that, right? Any breaking of sin merits you eternal hell. But the question is, should we apply the law that stringently on a regular basis in, in Israel? When you think about this, how many people uh, could possibly have just been put to death right away? <laughs> they might have entered the promised land with about 40 people or you know, 10 or you know, who knows how many. So, I mean, I think that there's implicit that even though you have your law, there is a sense of how do we judicially apply that law? And that I think that's built into the system. A lot of people, when they study the Old Testament law, don't don't think that, but Israel had judges, and those judges were called to take the, the laws on the books and try to rightly apply them to the situation, okay? And whatever reason, in this situation, none of the judges feel competent to execute the, the judgment on this, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of where I, I'm, I think it is. Um, they, they talk to God, um, they seek God's, his direct word, and, and God is explicit, right? This man must be put to death. So you guys are right in that it, it, it certainly challenges, I think Mary or someone said the people are zealous for the law. I don't know who said that. Maybe it was Mary. But, but when they hear God's direct command, they follow through with this, which is pretty, pretty amazing, you know, um, at this point. I wonder if any of them had twinges of guilt in their own hearts. Jesus saying, he who has no sin cast the first stone kind of thing, right? You know, so, but this is an explicit, God just says, you must do this. So this idea that, that there's some kind of lesson that God is giving is, I think, you're right on in thinking that. God does want to make a point here, Uh do we not think the similar thing is occurring with um, Ananias and Sapphira? Has, ha, have any of us ever lied, you know, in, in, the, in the giving of our gifts or, you know, give the impression that we're giving more than we are? I mean, whatever. Um, God is certainly at this point seeming to make a point here. This is, this is serious to him. Now, judges don't necessarily know 
the man's motives that are in his heart, but God does. Not, I think that is, that is excellent. So the motives are very clear. Like, where is his heart in this? Why did he do this? And, and there is not, in my mind, there's no question that God is judging not only the action but the heart. He is, and he's making a definitive final judgment on this man. Um, now, God commands the people to take the man outside of the camp. What, what significance might that be? They don't want a dead body in the camp? That's really insightful, Peter. Good. Any other thoughts? Yes, right. You are being removed from the congregation. In our day and age, we don't stone people. But what do we do if someone is defiantly in heinous sin? Excommunication. You take them outside of the camp. This is why when, when the man in uh, 1 Corinthians, is, is uh, Paul says to hand him over to Satan, um, the idea is you're taking him out from the camp so he will experience the the wrath of God, the uh, separation from the people, all those kind of things. Okay, so, um, but then, in addition to just taking him outside of the camp and letting him go on his way, what do they have to do now? They have to be the ones to stone him. Why? It's a collective yeah. So think about the heart. What is this? What does this? Um, this gets back to uh, Mary's comment that God knows best. When you throw the stone, are you are you necessarily saying that you're without guilt? No, you're not necessarily saying that. But what you are in agreement with what? Right. Do you want to say no? God is wrong to have this judgment. It's challenging what you think is right as opposed to what God thinks is right. Right? Without sin, throw the first stone. Right, but see, the, well, but there was an opposite problem there. Right, they caught the woman in adultery, right? So if they caught the woman in adultery, where is the man? I mean, if, if, you, if you catch someone in adultery, then you're catching them in adultery. Not just that you've just, we think you've done adultery. So that they're, they're executing the judgment, not because they're siding with God or really care about justice. They just want to prove their own uh, false piety by t- getting rid of this woman and leaving the, the guy free. And so that's why he says, oh, he who is without sin cast the first stone. In other words, Every one of you could be stoned, is what he's telling them. And, and so they, they skimper away. So it's a very different thing, right? Here they're questioning, does this man deserve this death? That one, they're just feeling superior to judge somebody else and, and do it very uh, uh, with partiality. So, Okay, so when you are forced to throw the stone you are basically saying i agree with god's judgment now think about that do do you is this not the same kind of question we have to ask when we say does god have a right to send anyone to hell 
See, if we say, oh, no, God doesn't have a right to send people to hell, it is just the same thing as not throwing the stone. God is wrong for casting that person into hell. Right? You see how this is lived out in, in this. So, um, in our, every one of you who became members of the church said that you uh, are deserving of God's just wrath without hope except in his sovereign mercy. Okay? What is sovereign mercy? The king's power to give grace. Does the king have to give grace? So this is, this is as I read this, I go, uh, yes. I am a breaker of God's law. God would have been just to do to me what he did to that man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, uh, why God doesn't say, well, stone all of you. <laughs> Yeah, or, or other people come forward, maybe? I don't know. Yeah. Um, see, I think this, this brings out the, uh, uh, brings out the, um, the question, are God's people not being judged because they haven't committed the crime that deserves judgment? Or are they just not being judged because God's been merciful? See, I think that's, we as Christians can fall into this. Well, I haven't done that, therefore I'm okay. Right? Instead of thinking, it could have been me in this. Susan? Um, I have a question. The nature of the sin the man committed, if the Sabbath is a picture of heaven, Yep. Would he not be sort of spitting on the possibility of heaven and completely rejecting God's plan for his people? Yes, I, I agree. And, and the fact of the matter is, anyone who is unrepentantly, high-handedly opposed to God's law cannot spend eternity in the promised land. You can't go in. It's just the way it is. This is why it's important. Sanctification is important. Have I broken God's law? Yes, I have broken God's law. Even as a believer, I've broken God's law. And I am a man standing before you that desperately needs mercy. But at the same time, when I sin and when you sin, you and I should be quickly repentant. We want God to bring us to repentance. Instead of, oh, God's going to forgive me, I can do what I want. See how easy it is to turn grace, his mercy, oh, he's been merciful to me, so I can do what I want. That's like presuming upon God's mercy. I can just go on rebelling against God, and he doesn't care if I rebel against him. Um, so, what clues do we have that this man's sin is high-handed? In other words, we're, I'm assuming that this is a high-handed sin. I'm assuming he's doing that, but do we have any clues in the text that help us with that? Yep. Hey, the other people, it was out in public. He's defiantly doing it. He's not trying to hide it. Other people probably said, man, what are you doing with that? You know, and he's just willing to just keep on doing it. Good. Anything else? 
placed this in scripture, you know, right after he talked about being high-handed, mm-hmm. is this was the example. Yeah, I think that's so. that's the clearest. I think that's the best. Um, and I do believe that my my understanding of all of scripture and my understanding of uh, over and over again how God is um, merciful and patient and kind has to in some way balance what we see here. So you don't just say, oh, God is, he's strict and harsh and he's always cruel. You know, if you, if you, if you don't get the rest of scripture and see how God is constantly patient with people, how he bears with people in, in sin, how he does these things, then I think you're missing, um, you're, you're letting one portion of Scripture dictate the other side of Scripture. So in my, in my mind, you have to say God has the, uh, the right to absolutely judge our sin. It just so happens that the majority of the time, he is extending mercy. Yes, that's yes, and and that's great. His sons get nailed, right? And yet Aaron doesn't. So so why does God destroy the sons and not Aaron? Right? I mean, this is the question. And God does a similar thing with Moses. Moses is the most humble man. He's very obedient all through this. And then at the end, right before they get ready to go in the promised land, Moses loses his temper and God says, no, you're not going in now right? Does any member of God's people get into the promised land based on their own righteousness? Now, I think Mary is again right on this. Um, We have to trust that the judgment of God is good and just and sovereign. We have to trust that God didn't make a mistake with this man. We have to trust that somehow God didn't like flip a switch and somehow become incredibly harsh with this one man when we see his patience throughout Scripture, okay? But God does have a right to judge us. And none of us knows when God will end that time of mercy. Today is the day of salvation, and that day can come to an end. It comes when Jesus returns, but it comes when people die in this world, right? I mean, it, it's, I just remember growing up how often if someone my own age died, especially if they didn't know the Lord, I was just like, oh, that could happen to me. I don't want to not be right with God because it could happen to me. And when this world is over, you don't get a second chance again to figure it out. It's in this life that we have the opportunity to embrace God's mercy and repentance. So if God wants to take someone out and say that this is the end of their time of mercy, then he has a right to do that, even among God's covenant people. Another example, is it not true that God told Abraham, I mean, yeah, told Abraham that the sins of the Amorites had not reached their full? Therefore... When I bring you back up out of Egypt, you will come in and conquer them. And when Joshua conquers through the promised land and kills Canaanites, that is the end of their time of grace. And God's able to do that. 
And at the same time, God can sovereignly save someone. Who does he save during that time? Under Joshua? Rahab. We all know that, right? So, so he can do that, but we just, sometimes we just presume that until it gets really, 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 really bad that God has to, to not uh, judge somebody. And the fact of the matter is, that's not, that's not, not sovereign mercy. It's not the, it's like, oh no, unless I'd really, really do something bad over many, many years, then, then you might be able to judge me. If I'm as bad as Hitler, you can judge me. But other than that, no, it's wrong for you to judge. That's right. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, do I know when someone has committed a high-handed sin and they're ready to be judged? No. That's God's judgment. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I mean, the, the church, even when elders excommunicate someone, it is, it is like, usually is only after long period of being called to repentance and, you know, pled with and, you know, argued and, you know. And even when that occurs, someone's excommunicated, you then hope that they'll come to repentance and be brought back in, right? Really, I think the only... The only way that I apply this in my mind is that God takes people out. There's a time when God is done and your time is over. But you don't know when that is. And it's very sobering. And and passages like this help us to wrestle with that very thought. Those of you who have kids that are in rebellion to God, you are pleading for God's mercy upon them. You're not pleading well, they don't deserve it yet, right? You're begging God to be merciful as he's been merciful to you. I think that's the vow we take when we baptize our children. I'm trusting that you will extend the same mercy to my child sovereignly that you have extended to me individually. And think of the, <clears throat> the positive effect this has had from all the way back in this time where this occurred, the positive effect that this would have had on the congregation to even now and the positive effect of seeing this man put to death. I know it's a horrible thing, but it sobers you. Mm-hmm. It wakes you up to the reality that it could be you. Good comment. Any other comments or questions? Because like you're talking about the elders or whatever, and these people that went and got the guy and brought him back, they could have thought, what if everybody else thinks that I'm a goody two-shoes or I'm doing this or that, and then they would not have done it because of fear of man. But this emphasizes the fear of God because he's in charge of our life and taking it or giving. What do the Pharisees do with the Sabbath then? Right, And they give the outward show of keeping the commandment with absolutely no true heart of the commandment, right? And that's the other side of this. Oh, I'm going to appear to everyone around me that I'm keeping the commandment when in my heart I really don't care about it. This is why I think that this man has, God has to be judging not only the outward action but also the heart. 
like I it, it takes a long time to even wrestle through all of the scripture on the Sabbath. Uh, and I, I, I think that we um, have much to, to learn from that. And if you haven't done that, uh, I mean, I can recommend books to you, but I also have written paper on the Sabbath and have my own notes on this. It, uh, there are, it is a difficult commandment to apply to your lives today. And I don't think you should just say, oh, if I pick up sticks, God's going to judge me. Um, I think it's much better to consider that this man is defiantly saying, I don't care about God's law. That's what he's doing. And, uh, yeah. Okay. Fun, huh? (laughs) Um, Any further pushing on questions because I know that I've not answered everything in this. <clears throat> yeah, and, and I would, uh, knowing the rest of the book of Numbers, I would say don't assume that they are as zealous for the law as you think. Uh, they were happy to take this guy out and they weren't going to go against God's, you know, direct statement, but they will turn around and and uh, bemoan that God has uh, brought them out of the promised land. And just, and, I mean, it's like, wow, uh, Korah's rebellion is coming right up here. So, um, um. How about King David? High-handed sins? I think they were at the time. Why is David not taken out? Mercy alone. You know the passage in the New Testament, God has bound all men over to sin that he might have mercy on all or something. I don't know the exact quote of it, but it's... uh, it's true. Whether you are a grow up in the church and you're a covenant child, or whether you've come in from outside, you, are, you stand by mercy alone. Which, by the way, should make us very gracious when we see others fall into sin. Hating the sin, knowing it deserves God's wrath, but being very gracious ourselves trying to call people to repentance rather than uh, being harsh in judgment upon them because we know we stand only by God's mercy. All right, let's go to 37 to 41. Uh, Jim, you want to read that for me? The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner. And it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord to do them, not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes, which are inclined to whore after. So you shall remember to do all my commandments and be holy to your God. 
I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. Follow your heart. Is that right? <laughs> if it feels right to you, do it. Right? This is, this is where we've gotten ourselves into trouble. And this is where I get myself into trouble. Oh, it doesn't feel that bad. I've talked with people that have said, oh, it doesn't feel bad to me that I've, I'm committing this sin. Whatever it is. <laughs> I don't feel like it's wrong. You know, um, we as God's people need to be less trustful of what we feel and more trustful of what God's word teaches us. I, I think that uh, the spirit of our age is to have very little confidence in the word of God and a lot of confidence in my own righteousness. That's the spirit of our age. And if you're going to teach your children or yourself how to live in this world, one of the most important things is to teach them that uh, your feelings matter, but they are not trustworthy. They matter. I don't want to get into this. We're just like stoic people. Um, feelings matter, but they're not trustworthy. What are they commanded to do? Yeah. And with a blue cord, why blue? I have no idea. I mean, I, I was like, why blue? I don't have a real answer to that, although in the blue was a common color in the sanctuary. So possibly uh, it does represent God's holiness and his royalty. Um, Blue dye was expensive and rare. Um, I don't know if this is factual or not. You guys probably have it in your notes somewhere on all your Google and Bibles and stuff. But they, they said that the, the blue dye was taken from this particular type of snail that was found off the coast of Israel and Lebanon. And it took 12,000 snails to yield 1.4 grams of dye. <laughs> Okay, okay. I, I, I just read that and thought it was interesting. But the fact of the matter is, blue is uh, somehow significance in this. Um, what are they supposed to do with these tassels once they make them? What's their purpose? Right. To keep the commandments before us. Um, when I went to grade school, the Ten Commandments were on the wall, all my classrooms. They weren't in high school. I don't know why. Somehow, like, in grade school, it was okay to look at the Ten Commandments, get to high school, maybe not. I don't know. Um, and the idea is not just to be reminded of them. What's the, what's the real intent? To actually do them, 
as much as we don't believe that our obedience merits us eternal life and we stand on grace of God, it is incumbent upon every Christian to strive to obey God's commandments. I'm ashamed of the times when I haven't. You should feel shame when you don't obey God's commandments. You should know them and then go, oh, you should cry out to God for mercy. You should, you should ask him to, what does David say? Renew in me a right spirit so that I'm now in a line with your commandments again. Get me back that way. And uh, following these commandments is equated with being holy to the Lord. I am holy, therefore I should follow God's commandments. Mm-hmm. I'm your God. So I would say that the tassels probably remind them of the commandments, but they also might remind them of something else. The temple, yeah, I think that's good. Maybe just the fact that they belong to God. That simple. I think the temple would do that as well, but, but I actually belong to God. Uh, I am his. And I think that's important too, because if you just... All you see is commandments. I just have to do, 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 and you miss that God has called me his own, then I think you miss kind of the balance between uh, God's being gracious to call you to himself and also his desire that all of his people walk in holiness before him. Mm-hmm. So yes, and, and I don't have any, uh, in our day and age, it kind of looks kind of strange to us maybe to, to see this. We think just Jewish, um, Orthodox Jew maybe. But uh, what ways might we apply this? Maybe not specifically the tassels, but what might we do? Scripture, so um, it could be as simple as, uh, I remember when I was in high school, it was, a, it was a decided, took a lot of effort to just say, I'm going to carry my Bible to school with me. I don't mind the rest of the, my fellow students knowing that I am a follower of the Bible. That was hard. Now, today as a pastor, I just carry it everywhere. It's not a big deal. But, but when you were... When you're young and you're trying to fit in and, oh, I'm going to be a person of the book. You know, carry that around, not just have it on your phone, right? Uh, was one way I applied it. Maybe in your house, have something up, you know, scripture verses, you know, as for me in my house, we'll follow the Lord. You know, whatever, you do something that's a reminder to you. I know people, you know, type ver- or put verses right on sticky notes in their uh bathroom so when they go wake up in the morning it's right there you know you're trying to remember the word of the lord meditate upon it because uh, it's easy to forget it right tassels on the corner of your garments 
Um, so, <laughs> you know, I, and it said, you know, uh, throughout the generations to come. Yep. Um, we don't have tassels on our garments. That's a good, that's a very very good question. Um, because Lord knows the guy that you know got gathered the wood. We have this, and we're not. I'm not wearing these tassels. Okay, so um, let's think about this. Go to the New Testament. Go to um, the Gospels, uh, New Testament passages. Are there any ways that we could answer Howard's question? The ceremonial law, much of the ceremonial law is, is uh, taken away. Um, Temple worship. This was each of them with all their garments. So uh, that, I would argue that it doesn't throw away the fact that when the gospel is taken to the Gentiles, um, that there's not a commandment. Uh, to uh, make sure that you keep putting the tassels on your garments in Acts 15. That's not what the Jerusalem council comes up with. They say don't have blood sacrifice to idols, you know, don't drink the blood. I mean, there's those kind of things. Don't worship idols, those kind of things. But they don't, this is Paul's argument. If you're going to be circumcised, then you have to keep the whole law. So if you're, if you're going to call yourself a Jew and follow the whole Jewish law, then that would be, something that you would be commanded to do. Um, I'm not even sure, though, that we can make a strong argument that Peter and the apostles had tassels on their garments at all time as fishermen, right? So I, I, don't, I really don't even see that as a, uh, an issue at the time of Christ. And he's, he, you know, he does a lot to reiterate the importance of the Sabbath, but also steer away from abuses of the Sabbath that the, that the Pharisees were doing, he doesn't bring up the whole tassel thing at all with anybody. So, um, mm-hmm. that's the same thing too, right, the phylacteries. It's the same principle that Howard's bringing, and I think it's a good question. I'm just telling you that these are things as I have, um, uh, you know, started from not wearing tassels to saying, hmm, should I wear tassels? Uh, the New Testament doesn't seem to even make this an issue, whereas the Sabbath is a, a major issue and uh, how, you, how you keep the Sabbath. Go ahead. Wait, is there someone over here that need it first? I just didn't want you running back and forth. Go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's not necessarily for us. It's really for uh, people listening online. I'm not as learned as most of y'all here. But my question is this. In Matthew, when the woman with the discharge of blood, she just touches the, it just, my ESV says fringe of Jesus' garment. Is that just like the hem, or would he have tassels on there as well? Because the reference came from where I was looking for more information about the tassels, mm. and it referred back to this. Mm. It's a great, it's a great question. I, I, I think we might imply that it could be tassels, but it's not explicit, right? So, um, 
I regularly, in studying the New Testament, have to look at the principle that is being uh, brought forth rather than simply look at the external um, uh, action or sign itself. Uh, we don't... Um, they, they, we're going to get to this later. They put up the bronze serpent, um, and that was the sign. Everyone who looks, this is a perpetual thing. Anybody who gets bit by a snake... Look to the bronze serpent. Well, several generations later, they have to destroy the serpent because people are making an idol out of the serpent. So I would argue that, that we have to look at the, the principle of it, which is why I don't think that it's a good application to just say, oh, uh, you can break the Sabbath in other ways, but don't pick up sticks. You know, like that's, I think you're, we need to find the principle that is being given here and then try to apply it in our context. And that's, that's the generally speaking, how I do this, and I think that's the way I would handle it with, with the tassels as well. We do need to have visible, physical reminders to us of the law and that we belong to God. I think that should be there. So, I was just wondering if it was maybe more to do with not having a place of worship, you know, that we have that reminder of coming together and mutual encouragement, just like them wandering in the wilderness, that would be helpful that they didn't, you know, I, I don't know. And, and also later on, was it only the priest who wore the tassels or everyone? Well, this, does, this seems to be that it's more than just the priests. Uh, but um, certainly the priest's attire did have this stuff. Yeah, but these people did not have scripture like we have to remind them. We have the Bible. We have the scriptures to remind us the way that the tassels may have reminded them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I just think that um, should a woman pray with her head uncovered? You know, uh, it's certainly something you wrestle with, right? Um, I have my way of understanding that passage, but. Uh, it, even though it's, even though I have my understanding of that passage, I allow for differences among God's people and how they apply that passage, just because it's not absolutely clear. Maybe it comes back to the uh, to the fact that God gave His law, and Moses still was like, "I don't know what to do with that man with the sticks." There's still some ambiguity on the application of God's law in every situation, and we have to do that with humility. Go ahead. Okay, you're talking about an external sign mm -hmm. uh, in the Old Testament. We have the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. uh, who, by gum, reminds me very frequently of who I am and, you know, and who The I law in the to. Old Covenant was written on tablets of stone, whereas in this one it's written on human hearts. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, but I would still, uh, I would still, like, if you go, like, external versus internal, I would still say that maybe in the New Testament we focus more on the internal and less on the external, but but I think that there's still something to the externals as well, is what I'm saying. I don't think you would just throw out the externals entirely, uh, but maybe there, is, maybe there is something to this kind of uh, distinction. So, yep. <clears throat> Fun discussion. Uh, 
Thank you, everyone. Let me just pray for us. Father, I know that I need to remember your law. And I know that you determine what is right and wrong, and it's not according to my feelings. Uh, I know, Father, that um, I do not wear tassels at the end of my garments. Um, but I would not condemn a person who did, especially if they wanted to uh, submit their heart to this passage, and that was their motivation. Um, Lord, sometimes we call things legalism that's not necessarily legalism. Uh, Help us, Lord, to rightly uh, submit to your word and to not commit high-handed sins, to not think that you do not exist or that your will is unimportant to us. Give us grace, Lord, to um, humbly submit to you and help us to be humble when you sovereignly extend judgment or sovereignly extend grace. Help us to just praise your name because you are good. We are the ones who are wicked and corrupt. Uh, You are perfect in all your ways. In Jesus' name, amen.